Hey everybody, you are listening to the Vocal Advancement Podcast and I am your co-host Tom, joined by the lovely Heather. Buna. Hello. Where are you today? <laughs> in Romania. Ah. Obviously. But you know, you're Sorry. Romanian, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I must have left my translation book at home. <laughs> I was say, you're just thinking of curries now. Mm. Well, it's yeah. almost lunchtime. <laughs> it is. Well, I had curry for dinner last night. It was very, very tasty. Oh, very, oh we, we barbecued last night because the sun oh. is finally here. <laughs> it's not here. <laughs> is it not? No. Has it not made its way up to Scotland yet? <laughs> but we had it last week when you were grey and then you've stolen it and uh-huh. left us we, with we, the grey. We've stolen it. Yeah, it was a beautiful, really, really ridiculously sunny day yesterday. It was proper kind of sat in the garden. We're like, right, we've got to get the barbecue out. Nice. Plus, you know, as as us Brits do, as soon as we get a tiny bit of sunshine, you know. Yep. Chor- all the men take their tops off. Tops off. It. <laughs> That's it, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we were, we were sitting outside. It was great, lovely. Glass of wine in the garden, barbecue, perfect. You have to though, because for those people outside of the UK, the summer is pretty much like three days and then we'll be back to grey rain, like Scotland, That's it. you know. We had nicer weather in winter, I think, than we've had so far. Oh, no. <laughs> well, maybe this weather's coming up towards you. You never know. You might you might, might get it in a couple of days. Well, the sun the sun is trying very hard to break through is it? here. Yeah. So I think it's supposed to be tomorrow. They were saying it would be nice because we were, we were up to like 19 degrees last week. It was lovely. Very yeah, sunny and warm. Nice. And then you woke up yeah. on Saturday morning, you're like, it's the weekend, and, then it's, yeah. raining. I was and say, it's pouring rain and grey, and you're like, It oh. poured with rain on Friday, because I thought it was going to be a nice day, and I had to go and get my windscreen replaced in my car, like you do. I suddenly realised, you know, it's one of those where you, you have a little chip that develops into a crack, and you, oh, yeah. you, you put off going and getting it done, because it's, it was on the passenger side, so it wasn't in the way. And then I suddenly realised my MOT was due, um, and... In the UK, we have to have these motor tests every year, these MOTs, to make sure our cars are safe and worthy of being on the road. And if you fail your MOT, your car gets taken off you, basically. They won't let you back on the road with it until you've fixed all the things. And a crack on the windscreen will fail you your MOT. So I was like, oh, crap, I've got to get this sorted now. (laughs) So I had to take it to the back of beyond because it needs to go to a specialist place where they have to recalibrate all the safety stuff. I don't know, Oh, and whatever. all the sensors that are built in. Yeah, but it was in the middle of this industrial site where there was nothing there and it was going to take like three hours to have it done. So I'm like, well, if it's a nice day, I can just take my laptop and I'll just sit outside and do some work. Mm. And then it was boring with rain. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like best laid plan, pouring with rain. So I was stuck sat in their little dingy waiting room. In this at least they had industrial one. state. Well, at least they had one, exactly. Although it, it definitely hadn't seen a Hoover or a Duster in oh, probably no. 20 years. It was filthy. Oh, dear. But at least I wasn't wet. <laughs> That's true. I suppose you can cope with that than sitting inside in the rain, eh? Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't much fun. There wasn't any... I was like, oh, maybe I could find a coffee shop nearby. No, nothing. Mm. And yet oh. here, it was um, glorious on Friday. So lovely. Oh. You had all the good weather. I was. I wanted it to be nice. But no. Yeah. We did, we were um, we were doing uh, extending our patio just now, as you do. Nice. And uh, we thought it was going to be a glorious weekend. We were like, great, we'll get up and, you know, like, we'll dig all the grass up where it's going and stuff. And then woke up and we were both like, oh. <laughs> it's a bit kind of not really a day for digging up the grass. <laughs> Thankfully, we persevered because it chucked it down most of yesterday. And, um, oh, gosh. So, yeah. And actually, it turned out for the best because if it had been really hot and sunny, it would have been unbearable. Hard work, yeah. Whereas it was kind of a little bit drizzly, grey. It wasn't cold, but it wasn't too warm. So you weren't soaking and sweat and yeah, that's rethinking better. your life choices. <laughs> Thinking, should have got a man in to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm really thinking that's what's going to happen when we get to part two and we have to start laying concrete that we've never done before. And it's like, mm, why are we doing this ourselves again? 
It's because YouTube makes you think you can do everything by watching a YouTube tutorial and then you can just do it. It's all fine. It looks easy. I mean, our next door neighbor just got a new patio and it watched us like, oh, we can do that. That's, you know, a bit of sand, a bit of cement, mix it in a bucket. No. (laughs) (laughs) If it turns out wonderful, I'll ask the video editor to put a a picture of my beautiful patio. In this little bit here. However, if you only see our faces, you know that means it was a disaster. It's not worthy of public hearing. <laughs> yes, That's a little teaser for you there. there we go. I mean, how thrilling. Tom's patio. I mean, <laughs> what a reason not to subscribe. <laughs> That's why they're all here, Tom. They want to hear about your patio. Next week, we're building a book. I was going <laughs> say they'll have to stay tuned every week to see how, how well the patio is getting on uh, knowing us it could be a while <laughs> i know oh we were looking word. we were looking at like uh, bulk bags of sand last night for making cement and we were like it's 800 kilos of sand that they'll deliver and we have a long drive and the lorry can't come on the drive because the drive will sink and so we're both looking at it going that's an awful lot of sand to have to wheelbarrow Quite a distance. Yeah. Are we sure we don't want to buy like little bags? It's like three times the cost, but it's much easier. (laughs) I think that's called lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. Just think you're getting a free workout. You don't need to go to the gym that week. You know, you'll have done all of your, you know, toning and cardio and everything. Wheelbarrowing up that much sand every, you know, up and down. And if this is the last episode of the podcast I appear on, you know what happened. <laughs> it's too much for me. <laughs> Never to be seen again. Never to be seen again. Doomed. <laughs> I know, two little legs sticking out a bag of sand. <laughs> oh, my word. So... Uh, who have we got on today's podcast, Tom? <laughs> so the episode today, we are talking to the lovely Dana Lentini. And Dana did a webinar for us um, earlier in the year uh, about working with kids and teaching kids singing and their voices. And as somebody who does not teach children, I have always had a kind of rule never to teach like 14 or under. Um, I actually did find the webinar very interesting. I wasn't expecting to because I don't really have an interest in working with young children, but I found it very interesting. So yeah, it was good. And getting to chat to her as well. And I, Absolutely. Yeah. I've had so many people comment that it was such a useful webinar, because actually, especially when you're first starting out as a voice teacher, you know, and we do, we have a lot of teachers who maybe kind of change careers partway through their lives and they go, do you know what? I want to teach singing. And when you first start teaching a lot of the clientele is kids. You know, there's a lot of a lot of kids out there that want to take singing lessons, you know, hmm. just like they do all these other activities. Parents are, are just in the habit of going, okay, yes, so that's your passion. Let's get you some lessons. Um, and so if you know how to work with children and you can build that bond with them, then that's a really good way to start building your business, essentially, mm. building yourself <clears throat> up as a voice teacher. Um, but, you know, some of the things that you learn as you're learning how to work with the voice, it's difficult to know how you can adapt that to make it suitable for younger yeah. people. And so, yeah, Dane had some really good ideas on, you know, ways to adapt how to teach them technique in a way that wasn't going to bore them. Oh, wasn't going to lose their attention. Um, so it was, it was really useful. Yeah. And uh, I will say she has a very nice studio that she was recording and it was very nice indeed. I yes. was looking thinking, oh, that's quite nice. Interior <laughs> design, take a few notes for my own studio. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Got to take inspiration where it hits you. <laughs> oh, let's, let's go talk to Dana, shall we? Let's yes. do that. So Dana, thank you so much for joining us today. We are really looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better through this podcast. But I thought it might be helpful for our listeners if you would maybe perhaps tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in the world of voice. Wow. 
That's small question. That's a very <laughs> small question. Yeah. And and since I like to talk a lot, let's see. I got to make sure I'm succinct and shorten it a lot. Um because it's a long journey. It's a really long journey and it took so many different routes, you know. Um I started taking singing lessons when I was 13. I started asking my mom for singing lessons when I was around 10 or 11. Um, I lived, I grew up in Southern California, right by Disneyland. And the new Mickey Mouse Club was very popular. You know, it was the, it was the remake in the early, no, I think it was in the 70s. That was the after Annette Funicello Mickey Mouse Club. And I just loved all that singing and dancing. And I begged my mom for singing lessons but I was told by people that you have to wait. So I waited and I started taking my singing lessons. And so then I continued through junior high and high school. And I also played the clarinet and the bassoon and the marching band. And so then I went to study voice at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles and got my degree in vocal performance and met my husband. And so he is a composer and classical guitarist and took a position wow. as a professor of music in the Detroit area. So uh, we moved there and I started doing, you know, auditions in the opera world because that's, you know, my training was mostly classical and my training mm -hmm. at USC had a lot of um, great vocal pedagogy classes. The late William Vennard was actually professor um, emeritus at USC and, you know, a lot of his research was based there. So the lineage of vocal pedagogy is very strong at USC. So even back in the 80s, I got real good, you know, structural pedagogy and all of that. So I was always fascinated by that. And so as I started my singing career, my husband is in higher ed. He's currently a college president. Um, but as we were going through his journey, we moved several times. And as a voice teacher and as a singer, I had to reinvent myself. Mm. And as with many people, certain things come into your life. And for a reason, for whatever reason, we say yes or we say no. So I found myself in the early 2000s teaching a vocal pedagogy class that was more like a group voice class to vocal or to, excuse me, music education majors at the College of New Jersey. And those music education majors were like trumpet or flute or whatever. They weren't singers. And it was a required class that they had to take. So they would learn singing techniques in case they, at any point in their teaching journey, could teach singing. So I was structuring this class um, as a you know, as a group singing class, so they had to sing and they had to learn all of these things about singing. And at the same time, I took a job teaching at an elementary school at a Catholic school. It's actually where my children were in school at the time in Princeton, New Jersey. And for whatever reason, I said yes. That's probably another long story, another time why I said yes. Um, but I found myself you know, teaching because I was doing this kind of dual thing. So I was kind of like, wait, I'm going to teach. I had all this rubric and things that I had to meet these requirements for children in kindergarten all the way to sixth grade. I had to, you know, push a little cart going from a second grade classroom down to the kindergartners up to the sixth graders. So I was like already like, woo, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and as voice teachers, we're always having to pivot and you never know what you're going to get. And we're improvising all the time, right? So I found myself mm. kind of borrowing from this voice class some of the ideas, but kind of molding it to teaching to children, you know, because it was, I just realized that they could learn all of these skills and I didn't have a music classroom. So I had to go to their classroom and they were sitting at their desks, but they had their singing voices, right? We didn't have fancy, you know, instruments and things like that. So I was teaching them general music through using their singing voice. And then I did that for about four or five years. And then my husband took another job and we were in rural Ohio. So then I started this voice class because the children that were in our local community didn't have access to a lot of things without driving really far 
to get out of the middle of cornfields, as I always described it. <laughs> and, and so I took all of that that I'd been doing and I designed this singing class because I still was under that belief that children have to wait to take singing lessons because there was that, you know, and there still is. I still hear it amongst voice teachers that children should wait. And really through all of that too, one of my passions about teaching children is I I really believe that when I started that voice class too, it wasn't for elite children that were showing extraordinary aptitude that were already doing auditions for regional theater or wanting to be an American's Got Talent or whatever. They were just kids that were singing around their house and their parents said they loved to sing and they wanted to take singing classes. And so I offered this at our community arts center. It was a huge success. And then time goes on. I did that for about six years, and my husband took another job. And then I found myself in a position where I had to give up everything. This was before COVID, so right that we didn't know how to do Zoom yet. And there was <laughs> Skype, but yeah. Skype had a lot of problems. So I had to give up all of that teaching. And the university that my husband was at actually offered a vocal pedagogy master's degree. So I was like, oh, my gosh, this... I, I want to learn more and I want to, I'm, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. Like I'm sure all of you are. I think we're kind of by nature as singers drawn to wanting to know more and learn more. And so, mm -hmm. so I started the master's degree and they let me really tailor it to um, what I wanted, which was to learn more about teaching to children and what was really unique about the prepubescent voice. And, and I really wanted to debunk these myths. So that was really what my vocal or for my master's thesis was really about debunking myths. And then it really then just one thing led to another. And I, and I, you know, met some folks at Hal Leonard, got to publish my book. And, and so anyway, that's, that's the short story. <laughs> I know Lots that didn't sound very short. There. That was the short. <laughs> that was the short version. So I've just had this passion again about teaching children, and I and I I really do believe that we as voice teachers, first of all, if we want to have more students, we have to be willing, especially for those of us that are independent teachers. Most of my students are not looking to pursue this as a career. And I feel like as a society, we have this fixed mindset. You know, my husband, like I said, he's now a college president. So that puts me in a position to meet tons of people. I am in a room with tons of people that want to meet me um, because I'm married to this the president. And, and when they ask me about what I do, I immediately get that response from so many people. Oh, I can't sing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, don't go there with me. But it, <laughs> it saddens me because we don't have that mindset around, you know, when children are looking to start an activity, say, dance. You know, um, parents like to sign their daughters up for ballet when they're five. And we sign them up for swimming lessons. We sign them up for piano lessons, even though they're not already playing Chopin on the piano. But we see there's value in these skills. But yet singing is still something that's over on this little pedestal that's for special people that show some kind of aptitude before they can take a singing lesson. And so really the curriculum that I teach and what I embrace and what I love is working with those people that just want to sing and find their voice. You I know? love that. You're speaking my language there. Totally, yeah. completely on board with that. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you say then when you come across, you know, what would you say, shall I say, to a voice teacher who is insisting that children shouldn't be taking voice lessons? Oh, gosh, yeah, that's, you know what, I'm the kind of person that I might be kind of like, hmm, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, I might not argue with them. You know, as I've gotten older, I just tend not to argue with people and get into that um, debate. And I, you know, because people that join my Facebook forum that I have, we have about 5,000 members all around the world, they have to answer questions to get into our forum. And I can't tell you how many of them are still saying, because I have a very pointed question in there. Um, what do you think about children? And they will still say, because our voice forum is called Voice 
just for young singers. And a lot of people still think that a young singer is 19 or 20. So they'll say like, oh, no, I don't think children, you know, before puberty should. So um, I can't like I don't every situation is different depending on the person. I might say, well, why do you think that? You know, because I really want to know where they got that idea. You know, mm-hmm. do they think that structurally, physically that they can't? Because a lot of voice teachers today are still stuck in that mindset of the apprentice model that we're going to teach singing to children the same way we were taught. And like, especially for those of us that went to the universities and had, you know, got degrees and we had those voice lessons where, you know, you spend half the lesson vocalizing and working on that technique to line up all those, you know, vowels and formants to get that classical sound. And then you work on your art songs and then they think that, oh, well, we can't teach that to children. And they are absolutely right. You cannot teach that same way to a child. But so we've been stuck in that old ideology. So there's that camp of people that don't see how we could teach in that scenario. And then there's the other people that still think that there's something physically wrong or that children should only sing in their head voices, that that's the only safe way for a child to sing. And apparently they've never heard a child in a swimming pool on the beach or in a playground (laughs) (laughs) using their voices. It's amazing. These myths still go round and, Uh, and, yeah, mm -hmm. still with all the information that's available out there now that, that some people are still kind of, Head in the sand. <laughs> yeah, so like I said, I think there's different people of different camps that be- have this belief. Mm. Absolutely. And do you think, though, that, like, I mean, is there an age that is too young for children to start? Or as long as it's appropriate to the child in front of you, is any age fine? Yeah, I think I think that's really about the teacher, you know, for like all of us, right? I mean, you might not be interested in teaching children and that's okay, but to go around and say it can't be done, I personally really want to work with children that are in that kindergarten stage because that's where my research has been based. Um, But for those teachers that have done music together, which is, I don't know if you have that in the UK, but here in the US we have this, you know, it's kind of like infant music classes, um, like mommy and me. So mommies come Mm -hmm. and they, you know, sit in a circle and, you know, and so if you're somebody that has done that training and loves working with early childhood in that sense, why not, right? I personally like when children are at that kindergarten stage and they're learning how to um, start to read and decode and all of that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of my special age. But I would never say to anybody, no, you can't teach a child who's three how to sing. I mean, there are kids too that they aren't singing. I remember even, I have a 27-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a 17-year-old. And our oldest, 27, he's actually a professional violinist, and he has perfect pitch. He started singing at a very early age because he was just, he could hear it. He was matching pitches. and But then my other children, they didn't really start singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, singing until they were like two or three, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, kids develop at different ages as well in different stages, mm-hmm. which is a part of my research as well, um, is kind of learning that. Because teaching children from five to 13, there is a whole gamut of ages and stages within that. Whereas again, when you're teaching somebody who's 20, you don't have all these different learning and cognition and, and things to think about, you know, because teaching a 10 year old is a lot different than teaching a five year old. So if we're going to teach children, we need to understand that. So I haven't really worked with three or four year olds, but I, I would not tell somebody they couldn't. If they want to, you know, work at that and understand those unique qualities, then by all means. I guess it's a fine line at that age between what qualifies as teaching them to sing, because most parents will sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star with their child, not realizing that that is programming their brain to understand pitch, to figure out the building blocks of singing. So you could argue that simply by singing nursery rhymes with your children, you're already kind of teaching them 
to sing, could you not? Yeah, well, you know, you make me think of something that's really important, too, in that same people that are, you know, questioning teaching children, which is, okay, well, children can sing, but we can't teach them technique. So we have to ask ourselves, what is singing technique? Even if you're singing a nursery rhyme, right? What is singing technique? And again, there's these people in this old mindset that think that singing technique is this classical singing thing of, you know, singing Italian vowels and Italian art songs. And if that's the only technique that you're teaching, well, then maybe you're right. We can't teach them technique. But learning how to articulate the words, learning how to express the words, learning where to take a breath and how to stand and how to sing to it. There's so many things that are foundational singing techniques, just again, like, like ballet. So if a little girl who is three or four years old is taking her first ballet class, but is just sitting in a circle learning how to point her toes and is not putting on point shoes yet and doing pirouettes, is she not learning technique? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there are very foundational singing techniques that we can do that are not things that we learned in college, but they can actually, that's when I, what I was recognizing when I was teaching that class to the, the college students and then going over and teaching the elementary schools, I was like, oh, I can teach the same idea you know, and that's the thing. You know, people sign kids up for piano because they see holistically what skills they're gaining from that. And these these skills can all be taught in singing. And the great thing about singing is singing is far more um, inclusive that a child doesn't or the parents don't have to go out and purchase or rent an expensive instrument. Right. It's a very good um, point. Mm. Everybody. Well, of course, not everybody. There are some certain circumstances that some people might not have a voice or be able to use their voice. But most everybody has um, the instrument already there. So it's much more um, suitable for, you know, children to be taking singing lessons at an earlier age than it is piano. <laughs> mm. I think. But yeah, so I think we need to think about what singing technique is and how we can break it down into child-friendly, simplest forms. Because again, um, violin teachers, Suzuki violin figured that out. Um, Piano teachers, you know, teach that very fundamental beginning, right? Piano technique is not just playing um, Chopin, right? Beginning singing, our piano techniques is learning how to just curve your fingers and get them on the keys. And I remember when my kids first learned piano, they just went and just hit the three black keys, two black keys, three black keys. You know, they just, they learn how to just get their fingers to feel the keys on the piano. Um, So in that same way, we can be teaching singing um, and really just breaking it down into simpler forms for children. So what's the, what would you say the average age of your your clientele is then? Uh, Well, it's interesting you ask because um, it comes and goes. (laughs) Right now, I have a whole gamut of 13-year-olds. It's like, whoa, like 80% of my students now are all 13. I'm like, wow. But they started with me when they were five and six and seven. And that's the other thing that I love about teaching children. We can keep them longer and watch them as they progress. And really, it's such a beautiful thing to see them evolve through those ages and stages. So, um, you know, during COVID, um, July 2020, I moved from Michigan to New York. I've still been on Zoom. I've been working, um, working on my publication of my new songbook. I've been working and mentoring teachers. So I haven't really been working to build my studio. Although I am this summer going to be teaching a group class to five to eight year olds. So I will all of a sudden have a bunch of five to eight year olds again. Um, So because again, you know, these things come and go, you know, and I haven't been actively 
pop, you know, I've just been really busy. So I haven't really had a lot of room to take a lot of new students. So like I said, a lot of the students that I have right now have been with me for a while. And um, so, yeah, I'm in the middle of a lot of voice changes right now. <laughs> and a lot right. of voices and <laughs> breathy voices. You mentioned your book. And I, I did, actually. After you did your class for us, I did go and, and, and purchase oh, your books. Oh, oh, thank you. Yes. I'm a good girl, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do wonder what what criteria, because so your songbook here, which is fantastic, there's a whole load of songs in it that are designed for, you know, working with children. I'm interested to know, you know, what sort of things do you look for in a song that is suitable for children, for younger voices, what are the things that, you know, the boxes you expect that song to tick? Oh, that's a very, very good question. Uh, I actually just wrote a blog post about it because um, I'm trying to help teachers think about how we can guide our singers to picking repertoire. Um, so the songbook that I really wanted to design was something where we could have an entry point, especially for those very beginning singers. Like, where do we start and where are we going? So when I'm looking for a song, I'm looking for a song that the range is within an octave. Because even if we transpose it, right, if we know that the average vocal range for a young child is about middle C to C5. And and so if we try to transpose something, um, now we're just going to take it and make it either too low or too high. It's just it's going to be off kilter on one side or the other. So I'm always looking for songs that have, you know, small range. Um, when I'm working with a very early beginning singer, I'm looking for something that has stepwise motion because I'm working and I'm teaching them, you know, solfege and I'm trying to teach them how to hear and be able to. Um, model the, some of the sounds that they're hearing. So if we have things that are overly triadic or have disjunct, you know, vocal lines in it, that, that can be really hard. And again, yes, of course, we have some very talented kids out there that are already, that can sing better than me. You know, like I hear them, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> listen to that kid. But but the average person, and that's where we have that fixed mindset. It's like, oh, I can't sing like that person, so I shouldn't take singing lessons. That's that's where I'm always like trying to help people realize that, okay, let's find a song that you sing really well. You might not be able to sing that girl is on fire when you're six, like that other girl in your class. But, you know, we can sing, you know, this song and you can sing it really well. And then they feel really good about that. So I do try to find songs that stepwise motion, very syllabic. Um, I try to find songs that have text that a child can relate to, right? Again, a lot of the pop music that's out there that they love and that they're drawn to is really exciting music, but they, how can we really teach them the technique of expression and storytelling if they're singing about unrequited love? They don't really mm -hmm. understand that just yet, but they can understand jumping in puddles, or farm animals or, you know, things like that. So I try to find songs that also have, you know, those kind of messages. And, and then I also try to find songs that have very limited text. Because as I have found, a lot of kids in that five, six, seven age range are just learning to decode, um, to read. And so if we give them a song that's, you know, a long pop song, let's say, with a very long, complicated form, that's a lot of words for them to speak. Mm. It's a lot of words for them to memorize. Um, and then they can get a little frustrated and then they can feel like they're not they're not succeeding because they can't do it as well as who they're hearing do it or somebody else. So I, again, I try to find things that I think are very simple. The very first song that I put in the songbook, I am a robot. I, I like to start with echo songs and I like that song because it really can be just done without the piano accompaniment and just be done and broken down as just a very simple little echo song. And because um, that's where, you know, I start with a lot of singers and just to evaluate like where they are. If they're a very shy singer and they're not ready to sing for me yet, you know, just doing echo songs is really great. 
And as soon as we went to online and I teach most of my students, I have some students in person, but um, I have found through Zoom, echoing is what we do now. And actually, I find my singers are stronger because they're not just singing something back with me playing it in real time. They're having to echo back what they're hearing. So that's how I teach all of my songs now. I play just little snippets, even to my adults and my older students. You know, if we're learning something new, I'll just, you know, play little chunks. And depending on the student, you know, you might give them a whole long phrase, you know, like twinkle, twinkle, little star. And that might be too much for them. So you just go back to twinkle, twinkle. But you can hear right away how much. Maybe that student, that was so easy for them. So now you can give them the whole phrase and have them sing it back. So I feel like my online singers are developing really better oral skills in their music learning. Mm, That's great. Positive side of Zoom. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So how does that kind of song selection change? Is So you said a lot of your students now are around that 13-year-old age. Right. I can't imagine many 13-year-olds being happy to sing I Am a Robot. <laughs> exactly. So, but, but that's why I tried not to put it exactly in age, because in my mind, I was mm. really thinking that five to eight years range. But you might have a 13-year-old who maybe is on a learning spectrum that or even a young adult that might have, you know, some cognitive, you know, delays, and they might be okay there. So I don't want to ever say this is only for this. But yes, so as I'm working through, because we just published songbook one, we're working on two. um, So they're building off of those skills. So one of the other things that I wanted to mention is that in this songbook, I really wanted to make sure we had a lead sheet only. So, because uh, I always noticed that my little five-year-olds, if I gave them the sheet music to look at, they they were so overwhelmed with so much information on the page where you've got the vocal line and then you've got the, the right hand in the piano and the left hand in the piano and you've got the stanza and then you go down to this stanza. It just was like, woo, too much for them to, to, to decode mm. on that page. So we put just the lead sheet there so they could just be following along. We also have the text in the back of the book so they could just also learn by looking at the text. So as the progression is building, um, Some of those things will not be in the later books. We'll just assume that now they know how to decode that. The forms are getting more complicated. I really tried to stay in the first songbook with very simple ABA form. Um, So again, there's not like we don't have these complicated codas and all these places to go back to and where are we, Decapos, ah, you know. Um, Again, that's, that's a lot, but that's something that they can learn and start to develop as they have that foundation and understanding the form. Um, So some of the songs are getting more disjunct in that melody. So we're having more triadic motion. And and then another thing in the songbook, in the first songbook, all of the arrangements that we did, the vocal line is played in the piano and is there. Because that's another thing I noticed. A lot of kids, if the accompaniment track wasn't there, I, I would come across songs that were children's songs. But they were really hard because the piano part is completely, you know, doing something separate than Mm. what the voice is doing. And a lot of young singers, there's just there's not that safety net. There's not that underpinning in the accompaniment that supports them. And they feel like, ah, and I have, you know, I even have high school students that, you know, their pitch is not as solid as it might be for others. And they still need that vocal lines supported in the accompaniment but as the the song books will progress we're slowly like in sections like where it's very chordal and you're hearing you know the vocal line but it's not playing note for note so we're that's kind of slowly kind of coming out um longer text wider range more sophisticated things and in the second songbook i'm really excited that 
I'm going to be delving into a lot of um, some languages. So um, I'm working on an Indian song, a traditional Indian song um, that I've gotten. And, you know, in India, music is all learned in the oral tradition. So I've had a really hard time, you know, um, finding music. And actually, Sandra Oberai, who's there in the UK, I don't know if you know Sandra, um, she has helped me. pull together a really nice song that's going to be in that. So they're going to be um, learning another language from India. Um, there's going to be a Spanish song in there. So I, I really I really believe that as children are taking singing lessons, it's my duty. Maybe it's not your duty or another voice teacher's belief, because I know a lot of voice teachers want to just teach the songs that the singers come to them with. And that's, that's great. I believe that my job is to open up their minds to a variety of cultures and ritual traditions, because that's what singing has been. Way before the piano forte was invented, people have been singing and using their singing voices, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I think that if somebody is going to learn singing, they should learn all of the different things that they can do with their voice and what people have been doing in different countries are doing with singing. And I think that we as humans can learn so much about humanity and that storytelling through that. So that's something that's very sacred to me and very important to me. And like I said, I understand some teachers want to just, you know, like a child comes to them and wants to sing a certain style or genre or, you know, particular artist. And that's great. My belief is, why can't we have it all? Why can't we have, you know, our dessert and our cake and our vegetables and and have have a whole well-balanced diet of singing literature? Absolutely. Hmm. I'm I'm curious to go on a different tangent for a second. Um, just because you mentioned talking about teaching a lot of thirteen year olds, do you find there are trends now in your young singers with the popularity of you know certain social apps? And because you know there's so many singers now that they have access to online that you can see. So do you find trends in that now? That's a very good question. I have a 17-year-old daughter, and I have to drive her really far to dance every day. And so I have her just put on stuff. And I was like, who is that? Who is that? And I'm like, who is that? I don't even know these people. Because you're right. I mean, they, they right, I grew up in the era of the top 40, and that's all we heard. Because when you turn the radio on, we were limited to that. Now they can, you know, on a TikTok, they hear an artist and they add it to a playlist on their Spotify or whatever. It's very fascinating. Um, right now, again, my students have been with me for a while. So that's the funny thing. Oftentimes, I really have to drag it out of them. I'm like, okay, we're gonna, I want you to pick a song to sing. And they're like, no, Mrs. Lentini, you have to pick it for me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) So I actually just, I just did something really cool this last weekend. Um, I just flew to Michigan to surprise my students that I haven't seen in three years. I'm actually going to get kind of emotional because it was really special. I have five students there that have still been with me and they didn't know I was coming and I surprised them. And I told them that we were having a Zoom singing class and I said, we're going to do carpool karaoke. (laughs) And I said, I want you to pick one song that we're all going to do for carpool karaoke because I literally picked them up at their house and they didn't know this, that we actually sang it in the car. And so some of the songs that they picked, one picked a Beatles song, one picked My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Somebody picked a song by Taylor Swift. It seems like a lot of my girls love Taylor Swift. And with that new album Mm -hmm. that just came out, that's really, really popular right now. And then a lot of my kids are, you know, a couple of them are, are doing a lot of musical theater auditions. So they're really... You know, they're just doing and learning a lot of musical theater rep as they're building their songbooks. So that's where I'm at with that. But yeah, that sounds like a fun thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, we had a really, really fun time. They were shocked. So I literally went into their house and knocked on their door when they thought that they were logging into the Zoom. I actually gave them each a different time of when the Zoom meeting was going to (laughs) start. It was all that was, nice. took a lot of planning. Mm. It did, but I haven't seen them for three years because I left and moved 
when COVID hit. So wow. really special. That's nice. And carpool karaoke is really popular right now, isn't it? So that, that <laughs> would have been very <laughs> topical for them. <laughs> I love it. So talking about keeping things fun, when you did your workshop for for us um, the other month, you, you talked a little bit about how when you're teaching children, you've got to keep it fun. I just wondered whether you could just, you know, maybe touch on that for our listeners about, you know, ways in which maybe they could change up their teaching just to make it mm. a little more engaging for a younger student. Yeah, that's a good question. And there's so many different ways. First of all, I use a lot of props. Going back to when I lived in Michigan and I was studying um, at the University of Michigan with Lorna Haywood, my voice teacher there, she used always used props. And I've just always been a person that uses stretchy bands and all kinds of things. So um, in my book, too, we actually have a picture of kind of all the different props that I use. And I can, like, in any moment, like, pick up a prop and go, like, okay, what can I do with this right now? Oh, I, I need some straw formation. I'll break it apart and we'll, you know, and we'll blow on the straw like this. I don't know. I'm just always, I'm a very highly creative person like that. And, again, I'm always looking to pivot. So I I feel like we're always improvising. That's kind of why I think I like teaching because it is it is like we're performing where it's like, okay, um, this set piece just came down and now we have to keep this this you know this this show going how do we how do we do this you know i don't know we're always pivoting but let me just take for an example somebody just put in my facebook forum said that they have like a 12 or 13 year old who's very shy and doesn't seem to be enjoying their lessons and how could they make it more enjoyable and i said have have some more fun so if i had a student like that that if i'm giving them an exercise and they're just not really they're very you know serious and Maybe, maybe their parent is in the room too and they're very inhibited or they're just, you know, whatever. Um, I will immediately use some manipulatives. Um, but in that case, I have some little flashcards that have different emojis. I actually made my first pack of just emojis. I like went and got some emojis, images offline and I cut and pasted them on you know, index cards. And now I have some that I found on Instagram, you know, when you're buying, you buy things on Instagram, you're like, Oh, what's that? And they were actually <laughs> emotion cards, not for the singing studio, but they were these emotion cards to talk to children about different emotions. So I will give an exercise like I'm really happy. And so I'll like, I'll hold up the emoji. And so they have to sing and insert into that so then if the one comes up and it's the sad face and so it's uh, then they're like oh I'm really sad and then we'll you know we'll just progress up half steps and then there's one that's like I'm really goofy and I'm like come on show me what's your goofy face and so you know something like that that's where we're teaching them expression and now they're being silly another thing that I do a lot in my voice lessons is I work on tongue twisters to just get that articulation going um, so we might just start off with TD, 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 T, and we'll talk about how, you know, we've got to train the tongue, right, for singing. As we know, it's a very important part of the singing mechanism in there. And um, and so I will, you know, give them tongue twisters like red leather, yellow leather, or... Um, you know, all kinds of like nutter butter, peanut butter, and then they'll have to say it three times and then blah, 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 and then, you know, immediately, like who doesn't start going like <laughs> laughing at themselves when they stumble on a tongue twister. So things like that, you know, like I might be using it because I notice that they're not articulating well, or I might just notice that this student is really shy and I know that that particular exercise always gets somebody smiling and laughing. And, and so, yeah, I just, every given moment is, we're just pivoting and trying to, you know, in the moment, try to find something that'll work for that student. But I have baskets, baskets of props <laughs> <laughs> that I had to really learn how to reuse online. But even now, you know, I just do them, you know, and I just show them or whatever. So, 
And with the little kids especially, I use a lot of stuffed animals. They love stuffed animals and puppets, and they can make them talk to each other or sing to each other. I use kazoos. If you have a singer that's like really shy or can't find their head voice, you know, have like a box of little disposable, you know, cheapy kazoos. And, you know, somehow when they've got a kazoo in their mouth, they don't feel as inhibited to, you know, sing those higher pitches. And, what's you know, it's a form of a somatic mm-hmm. vocal track exercise, right? So, um, yeah, just all kinds of fun little props. I love that. Mm. Yeah. Sticking kazoos on my next Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that oh yeah, I love it. Even for adults. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It helps them find that, you know, that lighter, heady voice. You know, I've got one of my students right now is doing a lot of musical theater and she's a great belter. She does not like using her head voice. And so guess what? Every single lesson we start in her head voice. <laughs> Every single lesson. That's where we're going to start, you know. And it's, and I know she doesn't like that, but it's like, how will you ever get comfortable if you don't use it? And I, we need to have, you know. I tell her, I'm like, your voice is like a box of crayons. Okay, you don't want to just have dark colors in your box of crayons. You need to have shading, and you want to have all this different colors. Mm. So, um, but the kazoo is a great place to start, especially with those singers that don't like their head voice because they don't realize they're in their head voice when they're using that kazoo up there. It's very sneaky. It's like hiding vegetables under a plate of spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) I love that crayon analogy. I'm unashamedly borrowing that, I have to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So I wonder, perhaps, um, kind of as a final thought, if there was a singing teacher that's just kind of starting out in their journey and they wanted to work with kids, have you got any advice of things that they could maybe look at or resources on as they get started? Yeah, you know, of course, there's my book. <laughs> um, and, um, of course, Ginevra Williams, who you just had on your podcast, which was your latest podcast and I'm just embarrassed to say I'm going after Ginevra because she's such an idol to me and she's such a brilliant (laughs) woman. So um, I, you know, she and I presented a couple times together and she's a dear friend. I've actually had her here at my home and I just love to just talk to her and glean so much wisdom for her. And so her book is a wonderful resource. um, my book, of course, I have a blog as well with a lot of stuff. If somebody's not, you know, they don't want to invest the money or they're not, or they're waiting for a book to come. If they're in a different part of the world that maybe Amazon is taking a little slower to get the books to them. Um, cause I hear from people all over the world, um, that'll text me and message me like, I ordered your book and they live someplace remote. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know how to get that to you. I'm sorry. Um, but, but yeah, so my blog has a lot of information. Information, you know, following me on Instagram. I do little, I'm not that great at being as regular as I can or should be because I'm so busy doing lots of other things. But, you know, I have little tidbits of wisdom um, in some Instagram reels. Um, joining my Facebook forum where we have a wonderful discussion. But just, you know, my biggest advice to early career voice teachers is they'll often, you know, have that imposter syndrome. And I'm like, look, we all have that imposter syndrome. (laughs) Even when we've been teaching for over 30 years, Um, just, you know, take, keep learning and keep, you know, just being in the moment and using every tool you have in your toolbox to just experiment and just have fun. My, My greatest advice to anybody working with singers is, You want a singer to leave a lesson happier than when they came in. That's really the most important thing, right? We just want them to to leave like, oh, it's over already. Or that was, you know, we just want them leaving smiling and a bounce in their step. You know, that is the most important thing. It doesn't really matter if they made some tremendous growth or, you know, in that voice lesson. But as long as they left their lesson feeling joy 
that is the most important thing. And I think we're all at different places on our journey and just continuing to learn and soak up everything that we possibly can and um, realize that we don't always have all the answers, right, at any given time, you know. But we do the best we can and we also just need to, you know, forgive ourselves. And I also do take, I take a lot of notes on my singers, I, I take notes on every lesson, yeah. so I know I, my memory is not so great. And again, I have like other duties besides my teaching, so my brain doesn't always remember from week to week where I left off with that student. And so I take a lot of notes and I review my notes, and that is very helpful to me because it's like, okay, where did I leave off? And oh, that's right. Gosh, yeah. She's struggling with that head voice. And so, okay, we've been doing the same thing. And I don't want to keep driving it to her like, you need to do this. So how can I, you know, find a new little tactic where, again, I'm hiding those vegetables under the spaghetti? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah, I I take notes as well for that reason, just because my memory is terrible. Yeah. And so it, but it's so helpful, especially if you have a student that disappears for, you know, a couple of months. Exactly. And then they come back and you can, you oh, I remember we did this, this and this. And yeah, it really does helpful. But I love that advice as well about making sure they leave happier than they come in. I think that's yeah, it's great very good to have that in the back of your head. Yeah. Thanks. I, love it. Yeah. I think it's really So what was your, um, you mentioned your blog. Can you just tell everybody what your website address is and we'll yeah. make sure we put links. Yeah, thank you. So it's just Dana Lentini dot com um which will take you to my you know i have my born to sing kids um and then i have teacher resources on there i have some courses that i have i actually have um last year i did a online singing class and it was called learning together so we had five or six singers in different locations around you know i think i had some in michigan and some in new york and i also had voice teachers as far as Australia and all over the the world observed. So I was teaching the class online and they were observing the class. And then afterwards we did a Q&A, um, just the teachers stayed on and we discussed the, you know, the strategies that I used and how what unfolded and why did I do this and that. So um, that discussion is not on my website, but the watching the voice class and then there's a whole um, series of some um, lessons that I do on just how to start teaching group classes, which is a great place to, if you're just looking to start teaching children too. There's just a lot of stuff in there on how to teach children. And then for my songbook, I just created some very short videos for the first five songs in the songbook. I created some short videos on how to implement teaching strategies for each of the first five songs in the songbook. And so that's also on my website under teacher resources. And then it's clearly on the tab there, blog. So you can also go over and just read my blog. And um, and subscribe to my email list if you want to stay up. I'm, I've got a blog coming out tomorrow um, that's going to have a freebie on, on how to think about picking repertoire with our kids and with our students. And there's going to be actually a little, the freebie is going to be a handout that we can use with our students to help them have that growth mindset of what are the things that I want to grow and develop in my own singing voice? It helps them think about that. And how can I pick repertoire to kind of meet those needs? Because again, repertoire seems to be a topic that comes up a lot um, Mm -hmm. with working Mm -hmm. with children because our children have a very fixed mindset and their parents might as well. and, And how can we meet them where they're at and also be teaching them so we're not just you know, uh, a TikTok voice teacher, <laughs> right? Because they can <laughs> learn a lot of this stuff on TikTok nowadays. Why do they need me anyway? Um, so again, but my belief is, yeah, I want them singing more than just one thing. I want them learning a variety of styles and and and, and different things. So they can be singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and be singing it with a swing beat, you know? And they can learn how to stylize singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, um, so yeah, so I have all of that stuff is on my website, danalentini.com. That's great. Awesome. 
and we'll make sure we put links to that, your books, and to yeah. your Facebook group as well in the show notes so that everybody can get those and, and access those resources. Yes, great. Thank you. That's, well, thank you so much, Dana, mm. for joining us today. It's been it's such a honor. great chat. Yes, thank you. No, we could keep going for another awesome hour, probably. Stuff. Yeah, you guys, I just love, you know, what IVA is, you know, all that stuff that you guys are doing. It's so, so great for... Because again, I'm a lifelong learner. So it's, you know, as voice teachers, I think we always want to just keep learning. And so it's wonderful. So I'm, I'm honored to speak to you guys today. So thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. So. So that was our interview with Dana, who, as we mentioned, you know, there was loads to chat about. And Dana's a very chatty person, but lovely to talk to and just... <laughs> As I said, I'm not a working with children person, but I did find it very interesting to to chat and find out more about it. Yeah, and um, I, like I said, I did buy her books because I was intrigued, and I have mm. a, had a look around, and I, they are very, very useful. So certainly, you know, if if you're a little bit stumped as to how to work with children, I I do recommend her books because they are quite useful. They've got songs, all the sheet music for the songs, as and so she's got the sheet music like twice in her songbook, the full sheet music. So you've got the piano part if you want to accompany them, but also just the lead sheets are just the the melody line mm. written, so you can start to introduce children to sheet music if that's what you want to do as well. Um, which is really cool. And then there's also a lyric sheet at the back. So there's just lots of different ways to use it. Um, so, yeah, really, really helpful for people who are just starting out in particular and once, as well as people who are, have maybe been teaching for years and have exhausted all of their own ideas <laughs> and gone, oh, I'm so bored of this. What can I do now? Good way to kind of re-inspire yourself. Yeah. It's a good market, though, because if you think about it, like kids during the summer holidays, you know, if they're interested in music, they're looking for things to do. Parents are desperate to get them out of the house kind of thing. Absolutely. You know, so summer vocal camps and vocal groups and stuff like that. So that is a great kind of market to get into, you know, especially to keep you because summer can be quiet eh? because adults are like on holiday and barbecues and all that kind of thing so you find that your lessons sometimes get quiet but with kids you know they're looking for things to do so it could be a great way to boost your business a bit working with kids absolutely doing kind of day-long courses over the summer yeah parents always want childcare. (laughs) when you're you know i'm always looking for like oh what what's going on that i can put my kids into over the summer so i can carry on going to work um so yeah we always run at our studio a few kind of singing days throughout the summer that are usually quite popular. Yeah, I imagine kids will love it, especially like, you know, if they have, because they'll obviously see stuff on social media and things. So like doing like recording sessions with them and making them feel like little pop stars and things like that. I'm sure kids love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's it. Absolutely. Just an excuse to play around with the voice and and, yeah. yeah. It's good to expose them to musical education. Oh, yeah, especially because the schools do a really poor job of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I'm sure we as voice teachers could certainly help a lot of children who maybe aren't getting enough music education at school. We could fill in a few gaps for them when they come to see us. So, you know, so if you are interested in in teaching children, you're interested in what uh, Dana had to say, you can still go back and and, um, purchase the, the, the class and watch it back, can't you, Tom? Yeah, it um, is available to buy the recording. So there'll be a link in the show notes or the YouTube description for that webinar. And there's probably a cheeky discount code in there as well. If you if you look for it, you'll find a cheeky discount code. And um, yeah, you can buy that and watch it. And it's um, a great webinar. It was one of our most popular webinars, I will say, actually. Yeah, a lot of really good feedback on that, one, mm. which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, so do check it out. And then also while you're having nosy, because there's also our, the rest of our catalogue of, of webinars which cover, you know, we've had so many great All people sorts of things. come mm. in and cover stuff. So there's a huge catalogue to pick to, pick from even, pick to. Pick to, pick from. Mm. Thinking you know what we mean. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, have a nosy round and see what else is in there. And, um, Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a good, good resource to have for your, your learning as a voice teacher. Absolutely. 
Um, do we know who's coming up on the next episode, Tom? Well, we do. We do indeed. So we had the lovely Savannah Stevenson join us. Uh-huh. And uh, yes. Savannah did a workshop for us last month. Was it last month? Yes, last month. Um, on acting and interpreting song. And Savannah is a West End lady, has been performed and treaded the boards in the West Ends many times. And um, I actually discovered the first time she ever presented for us that I saw her in Wicked playing Glinda in the West End in London. Did you? I didn't realise who she was and we were sitting and she was doing this class and I was like, I really know your voice when she was singing. I, I, and then afterwards I spoke to her and, and it clicked. She's like, oh, I was Glinda. And I was like, oh, I was said that. And, so, and then it was just very funny. There we go. So yeah, it's just dropping names. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes. And she did a really fantastic presentation. Again, another really kind of practical, oh. applicable useful kind of thing you know lots of things that you can get on and use so yeah um and our chat with her was also really interesting so She's make lovely. sure you tune in what do they need to do to make sure they don't miss the next episode tom yes yeah, so wherever you consume your podcasts find and search for the vocal advancement podcast and click the fault crick click the follow or subscribe button and uh, that will make sure that you get notified when that episode and the future episodes come out and just in case you want even more frivolities, uh, you can check out our YouTube channel and you can see this glorious Technicolor where we pull all the strange faces. and Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and you can compare our interior design to Dana's. Dana's, sorry. <laughs> Not Dana's. Who's <laughs> Dana? <laughs> oh, dearie me. Yes. I don't think mine's quite as clean and white because I'm sat in what used to be my kid's nursery that I then stole to turn into my home office. But I didn't have the heart to take down all of the lovely pictures of bunny rabbits. That yeah, are you've on got the that wall. nice tree on your shoulder, <laughs> just over your shoulder. And a tree over here. Yeah, it's a lovely tree. There's a squirrel in the tree too. And over my there, there's a little some foxes drawn on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the bunny. <laughs> That's it. And I'm like, oh, I can't paint over those. <laughs> so I've just kept yeah. them. Yeah, that adds character. Yeah. I'm like I'm sitting in the wilderness, even though I'm in my office. <laughs> That's nice. I sit and record with this plant behind me. It's my greenery. And every time I look at it in the recording, I'm like, oh, it's a bit lopsided. We need to get like, this, <laughs> chop this bit off and just, just make it a bit more a bit. symmetrical. The OCD in me is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and that box is still there from when we were recording with Dana. I still keep forgetting to move it. <laughs> see all the behind the scenes stuff that you can only see on YouTube there we are all the behind the scenes fascinating cardboard boxes and plants <laughs> <laughs> it's thrilling stuff people it's what people need to say obviously <laughs> <laughs> it's real life oh I love it well thank you for coming and joining us and if you're yes. watching on YouTube thank you for looking at our uh, decor and uh, yeah we will uh speak to you or see you in our next episode so yeah. don't miss it yeah have a good day <laughs> <laughs>